Welcome to Resilience Unraveled. Hi everybody and welcome to Resilience Unraveled, a podcast that examines all aspects of personal and organisational resilience. A huge all-encompassing subject that covers the ability to thrive in life by harnessing your cognitive, emotional, physiological and contextual abilities. I share stories from people who have thrived despite remarkable obstacles, as well as highly successful practitioners and experts across a range of topics. And this podcast introduces their amazing stories and expertise, as well as my own reflections, perspectives, strategies and tips, which come from my own synthesis of themes and trends from wider learning. You can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and eBooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com. Then search for Resilience Space Unraveled. So, let's get started. Enjoy the show. Hi, and welcome back to Resilience Unraveled. Today, a very interesting guest, something different, something unusual for you all to chew on. We're talking to Dr. David Hanscom from the States. Good afternoon, Dr. David. How the devil are you? Hi, Russell. I'm doing very well. And again, I can tell by that beautiful accent of those that you're across the pond. So tell me more about where you are. Um, I live in Oakland, California, which is the Bay Area of California. I practiced in Seattle, Washington for 32 years doing complex orthopedic spine surgery. And about two years ago, I quit my practice to teach people about chronic pain what happened, I suffered from chronic pain myself, um, manifested mostly by anxiety, by the way, um, for about 15 years. Mm-hmm. And I went from being a fearless spine surgeon to crippling anxiety in one day. And from that point on, I could not stop the problem. And I thought anxiety was a psychological issue. I sought all sorts of help for it and just kept getting worse and worse and worse. And finally, by accident, I came out of it in 2003. And the bottom line is that anxiety is the pain. It's just the body's reaction to a threat, stress. And what I, the reason I quit spine surgery is that it turns out that we're actually doing major spine surgery with about a 20% success rate on anxiety. And it doesn't really work very well. So I've seen so many people going to pain-free with minimal resources and no risk compared to people being badly harmed by major spine surgery. I just had to quit and do this. Okay, well, let's unpack a few of those bits, shall we? And yep. um, let's just see where it takes us. So, um, so, so tell me about the spine surgery, for, first of all, because you are an expert in the field. So tell me, you know, take me to that point where, you know, you um, flipped from spine surgeon to anxiety specialist in a day almost, or as you were sort of describing it. Well, I became an anxiety victim in a day. I didn't yeah, really sorry, that was it, yes. Right, yeah. So you know, I had my training at a top spine fellowship in Minneapolis, Minnesota, I was one of those few surgeons who, when I hit Seattle, we were doing nine times the rate per capita of spine surgery as any place in the entire country. So I was one of those people. I was very aggressive in doing spine surgery, which was, ba- which was basically fusions for back pain. In other words, welding the spine together to solve back pain. And I did that for eight years. And the data came out in 1993 that said that the, su- that the success rate of a spine fusion for back pain was 22%. And I just stopped. Because it's a big operation, I was thinking 90 to 100%. I was noticing maybe half my patients were doing well, half were not. 
And then about that same time, I developed a severe burnout. I was driving across a bridge and developed a panic attack. Mm-hmm. So I went from panic attack being racing heart, sweating, yeah. extreme anxiety. And I went from honestly a fearless spine surgery to crippling anxiety in one day. So I knew I was not going to do spine surgery on that particular diagnosis. So I simply stopped in the operation. I didn't know, I did not know what to do in the meantime. So for another 10 years, it kept spiraling down and down and down. And, I, and by through a funny series of events in 2003, I came out of it. And most people in chronic pain do not come out of chronic pain. So it turns out that what chronic pain is, it's a sustained exposure to a threat. Right. And, and so threat can be either a wild animal or a predator or a robber, or it can be intrusive thoughts. It could be unpleasant thoughts. It could be repressed thoughts and emotions are also processed in the brain yeah. as the same way as a physical threat. Yeah. And it turns out that repressed emotions are more of a threat than expressed emotions. And to become a major spine surgeon, I had a rep- I was just the ultimate master at repressing emotions. Yes. Isn't, isn't that by very definition, the, um, the sort of the, the sociopath idea that you have to be able to sort of repress those emotions or psychopath. Right. Yeah. Right. And, and it's actually typically the high functioning sociopath is often the surgeon. So did you lose your ability to do that or did you lose or did, did something happen at that stage, you think? So I have to disagree with that a little bit because um, I would, the, the people that actually have more of a problem with this are the sort of the opposite of sociopathic people. So right. in the 1980s, they found out the p- people that have the most trouble with these intrusive thought patterns are actually the people that are very conscientious and well-intentioned because sociopathic people don't suppress as much. In other words, something negative comes through the mind, they don't worry about it. But if you're somebody who's super concerned and self-conscious and conscientious, that you suppress a lot of stuff because right. even the smallest thing, your, your, your internal mental standards are so tight. And in 1987, Dr. Wegner wrote an essay called The Seed of Our Undoing. And he pointed out that these obsessive thought patterns um, are from the most well-intentioned people because in Greek tragedy, it's the hero self-sabotages himself. And the answer yeah. was why? So for me, I was a master of suppressing emotions um, or sociopath, and by the way, there is data showing that about 15% of surgeons are sociopathic, but that is not the majority. No, so, and it's tendencies what, or traits, isn't it, more than anything else? Uh, well, what happens, they did a study, they showed that pre-medical students have a higher level of compassion than the average population, but by the third year of medical school, that compassion index drops to the floor, it plummets. And that doesn't even include residency and fellowships where flat out are abusive, and right now in the United States right now, um, the burnout rate's about 70%. Yeah. And burned out professionals in any field, but especially medicine and especially surgery, don't perform very well. Yeah. So what happens is that what pulled me out of my tailspin, which was 15 solid years, and I actually developed a full-blown obsessive compulsive disorder, um, was was called expressive writing. Okay. That's interesting. Have you have you heard of this? Absolutely, yeah. So yeah. I'm holding a book in my hand, but written by yeah. Dr. James Pennybaker and Dr. Joshua Smythe. And Dr. Pennybaker and I have become friends. And he did the original research done in the 1980s. There's over 1,000 research papers that talks about the effectiveness of expressive writing. Yeah. And I talked to him a few weeks ago, and in 2020 alone, there were an additional 250 research papers. You see, we write down your thoughts and you tear them up. 
And you go, well, that's crazy. And so we don't know why, but it, it lowers, it improves kidney function, it improves liver function, it improves the symptoms of rheumatoid arthritis, asthma, it actually decreases viral load and age, it improves wound healing. But see, humans cannot escape their thoughts. Mm. But from my perspective, the writing simply separates you from the thoughts. And the top psychologist in the world back in the 80s said the only thing you can do with these obsessive thought patterns is simply write them down. Right. Makes sense. And to me, it's a separation process. Yeah. And the reason why you tear them up for two reasons, and I think I actually convinced Dr. Penny Baker about this a little bit myself, is that people write their thoughts down, then they want to analyze them and fix them. But your attention's on the thoughts. You're actually reinforcing them. So the key word in this whole healing process is called neuroplasticity, where your brain changes by the second, new neurons, new connections, all sorts of stuff. And what you do, you can guide your brain to where you want it to go. So if you're trying to fix the problem, your attention on the problem, not the solution. So the writing exercise is not a fixing process. It's just the starting point. So I developed a process called the DOC journey, um, direct your own care journey. You can access it at www.thedocjourney.com. And it's a program that I put together over this last year, which represents 20 years of thinking and consolidating the healing process down to a certain set, certain set of sequence of steps. And it's all about calming down the nervous system and creating a different nervous system. In other words, your old nervous system has lots of pain, automatic survival responses. And what you're doing, the writing creates a little bit of a space. So you have awareness and separation. Then you substitute. So it doesn't work as positive thinking, which is another way of suppressing negative thinking. But positive, positive vision, positive substitution is a big deal. So what happens, you gauge, and there's lots of ways of doing this. But you, what you want to do is stimulate your brain to change the direction you want it to go. Yeah. The writing does awareness and separation. And the reason why you tear these thoughts up is for, first of all, write with freedom. And the more crazy and bizarre thoughts that you get, can get down on paper, the more effective the process, but you don't have to do it that way. Just the writing simply separates you from your thoughts. But the more important part is not to analyze them. This is just an exercise. And if you wanna analyze these issues, they're not issues, they're just thoughts. Yeah. So humans can't escape their thoughts. The writing seems to separate from the thoughts. Then the reprogramming can be meditation, mindfulness, relaxation, just drop your shoulders. And jumping back to the surgical stuff, we started teaching our fellows, these residents and fellows in spine surgery, how to do these tools in surgery. So we started teaching athletic performance principles in surgery, basically mindfulness-based surgery. And so instead of being distracted by thoughts, you are now connected to the move by feel. And my personal complication rate dropped down probably 80%. My fellows will go into practice and probably have less than 20% of the complications I had my first five years in practice. And it was a remarkable experience of teaching these fellows how to teaching these fellows how to process stress in a way that you're not trying to get rid of the stress, you're not trying to avoid the stress, but as you process it in certain ways it's magical. So in other words, stress isn't the problem, it's that neurochemical reaction to the stress. Yes, uh, and that actually all makes, that makes sense, doesn't it? Yes, because it's, it's always that thing, it's, it's always the, the reaction to things rather than the antecedent, isn't it? Um, right. Interesting. Um, so you talked, 
let, let me just re-unpack anxiety as well, because you talked about that, and um, I just want to make sure that I, under, I got what you meant there. Talk to me a bit more about the anxiety side of things. So if I had one message, honestly, to give to the world, it's this. So anxiety is a result of a threat. We tend to think of it, I mean, for 15 years or longer, I thought anxiety was the cause of the threat. I never understood of it. I never understood it being the reaction. So you have a threat, mental or physical, and your body responds with increased um, cortisol, adrenaline, histamines, but also inflammatory, what's called cytokines, inflammatory proteins. Your metabolism goes up, but your body goes into a survival reaction. So that creates a sensation, right? But isn't this just fear? Isn't this just a, uh, isn't this just a different synonym for fear? So what we're trying to do is get rid of the word anxiety completely and fear and all this stuff. In other words, what we say and say, look, anxiety just, just, is just the word that describes the reaction. So there's different levels of it. I mean, you have alert, nervous, afraid, or fearful, yeah. angry, terrified, paranoid, right? So there's different levels of anxiety with fear being one of those in the middle. So we look at anxiety as, as simply the word that describes that neurochemical response to a threat. I see, yeah. So in other words, thoughts are the psyche, of course, that comes into your brain that creates a reaction, but the actual reaction is key. The reason why that's so critical is that the unconscious brain processes about 20 million bits of information per second. Yeah. The conscious brain processes 40. So it's yes. 20 million versus 40. And so you can't control this survival reaction. Plus, if you didn't have anxiety, you wouldn't survive. You wouldn't survive more than a few minutes. Yeah, you, it's, it is natural, right? isn't it? It has to be natural. Yeah. Right. So it's normal. But see, the problem that humans have compared to my cat, my cat has the same, we have the same survival reaction that my cat does. But if my boss yells at my cat, she lays down and goes to sleep. I don't do that. My thoughts yeah. keep coming at me, right? Yeah, exactly. So those thoughts create the same reaction. In other words, the neuroscience shows that thoughts and emotions are processed in a similar part of the brain as a physical threat, but we cannot escape our thoughts. That's what Dr. Wagner calls the curse. I'm sorry, what I call the curse of consciousness. And so we all know about the white bears experiment. We try not to think about something. You think about it more. Yeah. It's, it's those repressed thoughts and emotions that takes us up the hill. In other words, what's success? So that adrenaline drive that takes us up the hill actually takes us right down the other side. Okay. So I have 19 medical colleagues dead from suicide. And say, say that again. You had I have 19 medical wow. colleagues and close friends dead from suicide. And the consistent theme is repressed emotions. Yeah. And so we're in, we talk to doctors, especially surgeons about anxiety. They go, I'm not anxious. What about you? I mean, it's a whole cultural thing. Do they tend to be yeah. men? Just out of interest, I cut across you for a second. What's that? Do they, do they tend to be men, your colleagues? No, no, no. So it's a mix. Just, just bad or worse. I mean, to be a woman surgeon is, I, I admire them tremendously because yeah. they have all the stresses, stresses that the men do, but they're not treated very well. I mean, it's a very sexist culture in medicine for women. In fact, the only... Even the field of OBGYN, you would think would be, you know, very open to women, not so. Urology, there's lots of women urology issues, but women urologists for decades were absolutely just really marginalized. People never really thought women could be an orthopedic surgeon because that's a manly job to do. None of that's true, of course. But women have a whole nother level of stresses that men do. 
And by the way, the suicide rate in men is double that. I'm sorry, women rate in male doctors is double that of the average population. The suicide rate in female physicians, by the way, is four times higher than the population. Yeah. Huge. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, yes, that makes sense. So anyway, my the main thing I want to point out is that this thing we call anxiety is a physiological issue. It is not primarily a psychological. Yeah. And the way you drop down anxiety is simply drop down that response. And what um, doesn't happen is talk therapy because it's a, it's a 20 million to 40 ratio. You, you also contend that as a, um, a nutritional angle to this. Is that right? Well, it gets, it depends where we want to go with this conversation because it gets very broad because it turns out that all chronic disease is inflammatory, every bit of it. So it turns out anxiety, depression, bipolar, OCD, maybe even schizophrenia are all inflammatory disorders. Same thing with Parkinson's, Alzheimer's, cardiovascular disease, peripheral vascular disease, adult onset diabetes are all inflammatory disorders. Yes. Yeah. So if you can do more of an anti-inflammatory diet, of course, you decrease your chance of chronic disease. Right. But the mistake people in treating, making treating chronic disease, including, remember, mental pain is a bigger problem than the physical pain. But the problem we get into was we're looking for that one answer. So let's do some mindfulness. Well, it helps. Let's try an anti-inflammatory diet. Well, it helps. It's always a combination of resources that actually drops it down. And there's direct methods that directly stimulate the vagus nerve. Dr. Poor just talked about this with the polyvagal theory, which has been magical for us. Then the, then the neuroplasticity, so you can directly drop down your inflammatory markers or with neuroplasticity, you can decrease the response. You have less of an inflammatory response. Right. And they're both important. And talk therapy is helpful. In other words, I don't want to come across this negative, negative psychology but if you use psychology for wisdom, guidance, support with the somatic type tools as a foundation, it's magical. We, now, we, we do, can I leap in for a second? Because uh, I'm oh, conscious sure. that I'm enjoying the conversation and I'm not doing my duty as a host. And then you've talked about uh, polyvagal, uh, which right. is something that you know, you know, both know something about. But could you just talk a little bit about that? So polyvagal theory is a term which describes now for us what, what is the obvious is that your bowel and bladder and blood vessels and breathing rate and heart rate are all controlled by the autonomic nervous system, the vagus yeah, nerve. The vagus nerve. And it's bi-directional and 80% of it is afferent. In other words, 80% of it is signals to your brain and 20% of the direction. So it interacts with your, um, we call it the hypothalamic pituitary axis. In other words, the area that secretes your hormones. So this vagus nucleus is in the middle of everything. It's like Grand Central Junction. And what we found out that um, your body's goal is to maintain homeostasis or stay in a neutral state. And it's all automatic. That's why this 20 million to one, 20 million to 40 ratio of the unconscious versus conscious. Yeah. So what I didn't realize, and, when, and I did learn this in medical school, but had forgotten is that part of thread is it fires up the immune system, yeah. which is modulated through the vagus nerve. So what happens, we have these, we have these inflammatory proteins called cytokines that when you're under a lot of threat, while your body has these inflammatory markers and they actually physically chew up the tissues. So it seems like just mental pain is actually translating into physical symptoms. So migraine headaches, irritable bowel, spastic bladder, peripheral neuropathies, all these other, all these other problems are from sustained threat. Then you have societal threats, 
like racism, poverty, lack of opportunity are also societal threats that can create the same reaction. But what we've learned through the polyvagal theory, and I know it's more complex than we don't want to discuss here, it just brought our attention to the role of the autonomic nervous system. And then there's a whole metabolism level we're learning about, and also the neuroimaging coming into play. So between the neuroimaging, the autonomic nervous system, and the peripheral reactions to stress, we're just learning a lot. You see, it's fascinating. I remember many, many years ago, a woman called Louise Hay, I mean, right at the forefront of sort of um, eating therapies and such like, basically saying what you were saying. And she was laughed out of um, the court because of this seemed like you woo-woo. And it's quite interesting how sort of proper, proper science, real science, traditional science, call it what you will, is sort of caught up, isn't it? It's quite fascinating, this idea of repressed emotions, this idea of pain being held in the brain rather than the body, all that sort of stuff. It, it's quite encouraging, really, to see a man of science such as yourself coming around to this point of view, and it's, it's quite, it's quite, it's, it's massively enlightened. And do, you, do, you, do you want me to, can I, can I rant for a second? I know rant away, of course. Okay, here's the deal. So, I wrote a little essay called The Essence of Illness, which is on my website. And I'm actually looking at your website now, which is probably you can hear me typing is because I'm actually typing in your um, web address and having a look. So carry on. Okay, so I'm going to be blunt here. And I'm I'm becoming more and more public with this is that mainstream medicine has no data. There's not one research paper in 60 years that says spine surgery works for back pain, not one. Yeah. In fact, many of us compare it to having a frontal lobotomy. It should never be done. Yeah. So there's no data there. Okay. Same thing with cardiovascular surgery, OBGYN, all these things have no data. So here's the deal. With chronic disease, you have your stresses or your circumstances, and then a person has a coping skills, right? Okay. So, you know, from a psychology standpoint, the coping skills are based on your background, your training, your skills, whether you come from an abusive background, et cetera. And so you have your coping skills and you have your circumstances. So when your circumstances or stresses overwhelm your coping skills, guess what? Your body is going to respond with survival response, yeah. symptoms. Yeah. So your symptoms are created by the interaction between your environment and your coping skills, and you develop symptoms. Medicine is treating only the symptoms. Symptoms, yeah. Right. So since in medicine now, especially in the U.S., we don't have time to talk to patients. We don't know the person. What are their coping skills like? We certainly do not know the circumstances. We're treating just the symptoms. It's like trying to put out an oil well fire with a garden hose because the fuel keeps coming in, right? So I wrote a website, I wrote a little paper called Disintegrated Medicine is that what we call integrated medicine acknowledges the person and the circumstances in the development of physical symptoms. And the root cause is the interaction between your circumstances and your coping skills. So it's fine to treat symptoms, but if you don't, in addition, treat the root cause, you're going nowhere. Right. So it's particularly egregious in spine surgery because if you're my patient and have back pain for a year, we have almost a 100% chance of solving your back pain with simple exercises to calm down your nervous system. Because as we calm down your nervous system, it decreases the speed of nerve conduction, the pain disappears. Chronic pain is a solvable problem. Anxiety is a solvable problem. We have to look at it from a physiological perspective. And in medicine, we're looking at it from a structural perspective. Modern medicine does not have the data. So when you say woo-woo, they don't, they're the ones that are woo-woo. In fact, in fact, they're the ones that are actually destructive. And so what's happening, and I'm going to say something really um, basic here, 
but correct me if I'm wrong. Mm. If you're threatened by anybody, your heart races, you, you get sweaty, et cetera. You have an adrenaline rush. Now, in a, and I now know that the immune system's involved. Mm. This is high school science class, right? Must be, yeah. This is actually, and one of my friends pointed out, well, this is actually middle school science class. So your body translates the environment into mental and physical reactions that allow you to survive. That's it. And it's not really a reach to realize, okay, your heart's racing. Well, is that psychological? Well, sort of because a mental threat may have, may have gotten your heart racing, but the actual racing heart comes from your body's chemistry. Yes. So you see what I'm saying? So that's where it's fascinating and disturbing to me is that the business of medicine has become so profit oriented. They're treating only the symptoms because you can generate lots of revenue from symptoms. Plus, if you treat just the symptoms, you have an ongoing revenue source because your patient doesn't heal. Yes. Chronic pain is a solvable problem. Chronic disease is preventable. A lot of the chronic disease is completely reversible just by learning how to lower the inflammatory markers. Right. That's, that's my rant. And, and that all makes sense. And um, yeah, yes, I, I like your rant. I think, I think you and I are in more agreement than you think, actually. Um, I don't think we're in perfect agreement, actually. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's a lot of people who wouldn't agree with us, but I think you right. and I are pretty, pretty well here. Um, now, I know, and you know, that um, we've just begun to scratch the surface, and I would love right. to get into this in a lot more depth. I'd love to really unpack the whole pain management side, but I wanted to have this first chat, really, to begin to unpack the issues, and um, I've just got fascinated, absorbed. I've been a terrible host, and... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> let's have let's meet up again and, and talk through this in a bit more depth and but in in the meantime if people want to get hold of you and see more of your work where should they have a look so i wrote a book called back in control a surgeon's roadmap out of chronic pain which gives you the basic framework of the process yeah the most efficient and effective way of actually solving your chronic pain whether it's mental or physical is called the doc journey you can access that is it's direct your own care yeah. So it's at thedocjourney.com and it's a self-guided course. We have webinars, teaching video tutorials. We have actually roundtable discussions. And so we just have had wonderful success with this new project, which I just released actually this week called The Doc Journey. And then I do have a website called backincontrol.com, which again is my sort of archives for everything I've done for the last 10 years. And um, again, I quit this two years ago. I actually quit my practice at its prime because, and this is another topic, spine surgery has become flat out dangerous for a lot of people. And I just cannot watch it anymore. Yeah. So these resources do work. Um, and please feel free to contact me. And, and I'm very excited to be able to, you know, chat with you about this. It's nice talking to a like-minded person. Let's, um, I'm already having a good look at your site. So let's just, let me just for the, um, let me just for the point of um, control, just say it's thedocjourney.com, docjourney.com, which is great. And the other site, let me just pull it back up, was backincontrol.com. Uh, David's been absolutely fascinating today. Um, we, this will not be, hopefully, if you all agree, but I'd love you to come back and let's really unpick some of these subjects and really get into them. And then I think we both know that pain management, pain, chronic pain management particularly is a massive issue. And I know you've um, got some UK contacts already. Perhaps we'll invite those people along as well and yeah. have a bit of a three-way and really un unpack this subject. And thank you so much for your time today. Thank you very much. I enjoyed it.
Thanks ever so much. You take care. Hi, everybody. I hope you found that episode useful and interesting. Feedback is always welcomed. And if you're in the mood to subscribe to us or even leave a comment on iTunes or Stitcher, that would be amazing. If you want to suggest ideas or even people you would like me to interview, then reach out to us at qedod.com forward slash contact. As I said earlier, you can go to qedod.com forward slash podcast for show notes or follow the links. And you can go to qedod.com forward slash extras to access offers, tools and resources, including free articles and ebooks. For those of you that would be interested in supporting our work and contributing more proactively, you can find our new Patreon page at patreon.com. Then search for Resilience Unraveled. I look forward to being in your ear next time around. Take care.